Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined with three drag kings. We are joined with Dick Hunt, Bo Kay, and Mick Douche. Yay! Hello. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. How are you all today? I'm doing good. Keeping real, trying to adjust to the weather. You Mm -hmm. know, normal Chicago vibes. It's beautiful outside. Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a good point, yeah. Plus, I'm a big fan of the cool. I like when it's cold. Nice little crispness. Yeah. Yeah. Makes you remember you're alive, you know? (laughs) Anyway, um... Yeah, so um, we're here, we are having here you here today, mostly because we're just so curious about how the drag king culture is growing in Chicago. Um, would anyone like to, like, talk about kind of, like, the beginnings of drag king? Ooh. Is that, is well, that... The, the thing is, is it's not new. Okay, While yeah. I'm new to Chicago, I can mm-hmm. say without a doubt it's not new. What you're seeing, though, is a generational shift in the mm. drag king community in general across mm. the nation. There's, like, the 90s old school I'm a butch lesbian drag king with a little bit of facial hair glued on mm-hmm. or an eyeliner beard. And so there is still this trend, even among newer kings, to have that style. But there's other styles that are getting incorporated. There's club kids coming into the mix along with drag kings. And you'll see people like Travis Fero turning out these makeup-heavy, club-kid, drag-king hybrid type of characters. You'll see folks like Land Insider and Damien Deluxe and me who are wear a lot of makeup but are still very mask-presenting. Mm-hmm. And you'll see even non-binary characters like Paradox Ray. And so these are folks from all over the country, granted. But part of what's happening in the Chicago scene is you're having a similar movement of this wide variety of what it means to be a king now mm-hmm. coming from all directions. That makes total sense to me. And, and it's, you know, it's interesting for us as, you know, I mean, like, we're boring, cishet, vanilla folks. And so, like, it's an interesting, like, you know, um, to hear that there is, that there is a rich history of it, I think is something that, and I, I think our listeners even would would be interested to know about. Um, I think, um, I forgot what I was going to say. The, the thing that's interesting to me is um, you mention um, kind of the unique environment that Chicago provides for that. And we find that a lot when we're talking with artistic folks, because, you know, um, you, it's a lot of folks in Chicago that, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, can afford to do something outside of their day job. You know, there's a lot of folks Mm -hmm. that are making dope art while they're figuring out how to keep rent. Working 30 hours a week and still managing to pull it off. Yeah, so that Mm -hmm. there is a kind of unique renaissance-y thing happening uh, in Chicago to that end is really... Uh, not surprising, but very interesting. And so I'm kind of curious to that end, um, for y'all as folks that live in Chicago, um, what is it about this city that brings out uh, your work in a, in, the, in a specific way, in a unique way, rather? I think it's just, okay, so I'm originally from South Dakota, and not a lot happens out there. There's not mm-hmm. really any kind of scene to begin with. Whereas once you get out here, while it is very queen-centric, there are shows every night of the week if you have the mind to look for them. Mm-hmm. There are opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise expect. Like, I would have never found Opera on Tap without networking with Dick here. And through that, through networking, through finding people, just because the city's so big and there's opportunities kind of created themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but that's like, awesome. Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. I don't know. <laughs> um... No, I, I think it's 
I just think it's it's super interesting. And um, I mean, do you do you feel that there are there's more diversity? Is that the way that I'm I'm you know because you you mentioned that there are kind of different mm-hmm. ways that folks can present within that spectrum. Um, Chicago has huge drag diversity in the King groups, uh, even in the Queen groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Iowa, for instance, where I moved from, because I just moved mm-hmm. in September, so I've I've seen a lot on both sides. Oh wow. Now. Iowa has a lot of pageant girl, a lot of beauty, a lot of glamour, and it's mm. still heavily queen dominated and a little bit more of the old school king, where it's the folks who don't wear makeup but will ha- apply the facial hair to create For a sure. beard effect, or uh, a lot of trans men, a tra- trans men who are kings mm-hmm. in Iowa as well. Yeah. So that, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. So you're from South Bo, you're from South Dakota, and Mick, you're from Iowa. Complicated. I've been everywhere, but Mick was born in Iowa. Gotcha. Okay. Mm. So, um, I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering, like, did you do drag before you arrived in Chicago? Not really. Um, it wasn't really something I looked for. I had other creative outlets. I went to school in South Dakota. I was part of a sort of a sketch comedy group. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, surprise. The things you learn when you put a mic in front of someone. I was actually <laughs> president of that sketch comedy group. Oh, cool. And, uh, <laughs> That's going to come in handy. They're okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and wh- where was I going with this? Uh, did you do sketch, or did no, you do um, drag It in wasn't South really Dakota, something yeah. I thought to try, though I, if I look back at old pictures of Shay, there was, like, Shay in her first year of her sorority dressed up as a dude for a skit or like Shay in the sketch group dressed as a dude for a skit like there was a common theme but it wasn't something I was doing intentionally gotcha okay um so I'm wondering and was was Mick doing um before before you arrived in um before you arrived in Chicago, were mm-hmm. you doing drag? Yeah, I actually... Mick made his first ever appearance in Utah years ago, out of nowhere. It was it was a fabulous experience, but I did everything wrong in all the unhealthy and horrible ways. And then I never touched drag again. I'd never seen a king before that, didn't mm-hmm. see one after. Even, even when I came back as a king in Iowa, I'd not seen another king, ever. Not even online. Because I didn't really care to look. I hadn't even seen much for drag queens. Uh, but in Iowa's where Mick really kicked off about two years ago now. Okay. So I'm curious as, um, as folks who, um, performed before they arrived Mm -hmm. in Chicago, what would you say, I mean, other than the obvious of like, there are more people here, there's more interest, like, what would you say moving to this city has granted you as performers? Like how has, how has that move changed um, changed your act or changed kind of your outlook on your mm-hmm. act? I mean, I would say I started drag, I mean, it hasn't even been a year. It's still very, very new. Mm-hmm. But I've been wanting to do it for quite a few years. And through opera, since I do mezzo rolls and pants rolls, those have always been the ones that I've gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. Those are always the roles that I'd want as my bread and butter. Those are always the ones that I enjoy the most. I really like just swaggering around stage. Mm-hmm. Swagger. Yeah. No, and it's fun. <laughs> and I, especially the ones that are like, um, I've taught them from Dead Ozenkelby, the ones that really have like a sexuality to them. Mm. Um, they're the most fun. And I, I feel like that's a part of me that has come to the forefront more and more. You know, the more that I've embraced uh, queerness as well and all of that. So... Like, I feel like finally 
you know, I entered a drag king competition to push myself into like starting to explore that because before it was just through opera and it was just, you know, like daydreaming about wanting to do it. And then this was actually, actually kind of getting out there. And I don't know, you know, I think Chicago is the place to do it because there's such a vibrant scene and, uh, yeah. You know, this is a place where you felt like you could learn a lot and, and start to do it. Like, I, Minnesota has a great drag scene as well, but I don't know as much. I know that they have a king scene, but, yeah. Minnesota I, and Nashville are actually much stronger than here. Yeah. Oh, I, really? I would even say that St. Louis is stronger than here. Yeah. And the Quad yeah. Cities down in, like, the Moline, Davenport area had a fabulous king scene, and then their home bar shut down. Oh. But they found another gay bar who's letting them do pop-up shows, even though they don't really have a show space. Mm-hmm. So you have a bunch of great kings who are down there who just don't have the venue anymore. That's super interesting to me. And it kind of, you know, it, it the reason why I thought of that question is because it, it feels like one of these things that needs a very specific set of resources, if that makes sense. Like, like I, I don't know. Does Do you, do you like, what? Mm. Well, I also do feel like... Um, queer it's there's a lot of spaces for yeah for queens there's a and fan a lot of, base here there's established yeah, stars there's and, people who are making things happen i think that's mm-hmm. really the master formula yeah and so i think it's, it's just like with with uh lesbian bars and stuff like that like it's harder it's been harder historically to keep them mm. around yeah, chicago to, used to have a bumping king scene the chicago kings was yeah. like a pretty well-known troupe yeah, yeah. in their day like Thank you for <laughs> affirmation. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's yeah. a habit at this point. Um, no, so I'm interested. Then I would love you to talk for each of you to talk more about um, your different personalities as performers. So um, I like I've I've never seen Dick perform before. I'm interested what his what his like you know curtain rises. What happens? Uh, it's very sexual. Uh, it's basically just trying to, uh, man him in a non, in a, like a consensual way. <laughs> that is very important because yeah. I do know that there are, there are performers that like to like get all up in there and like, you know, absolutely kiss audiences, audience members and stuff. And I'm not super into doing that without people being okay with that. But, uh, it's just, it's very swaggery. It's just basically just like whatever the like arrogant asshole is in within me. That's just kind of what Dick is. So kind of like casanova E. Exactly. Just like you kind of hate him, but like you also want to hate fuck him, you know? <laughs> Bo wants to hate fuck him. Exactly. Yeah, we have a thing going from Good. the performances we've done. There's some pictures. So we got a cover of a romance novel. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So just like, just a swaggery asshole. And so I, uh, that's, that's basically Dick. And then also add on a dash of opera to that. So like playing with that form of the like oh look at my classical music vibe going on so obviously it's still forming what a dick but yeah (laughs) basically dick is the kind of person that you'll be like what a dick so it's kind of fitting that's actually that's such a like a masculine trope that's such like a masculine like go like i feel like that's unique to dealing with men where they'll leave and you'll just be like what oh well, god and the thing is like Did so anybody else see that but the thing is it <laughs> is also tied in with sexuality and with attraction because the more and a lot of the times the more um men usually are just arrogant like the arrogance is just seeping off of them the more people can be like i hate this person and yet i am drawn to them um mm. so that's something that i find interesting especially because uh 
um, as a woman, I feel like that's something that has to be contained a lot more. And uh, I will freely say that if given the chance, I can definitely be uh, arrogant, an arrogant asshole. And so it's nice <laughs> to be able to just do that and not, you know, feel as constrained. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, having this, it's an interesting thing to me, the having the space to do that, you know, and this is a weird uh, um, comparison to draw, but I always think of what made, like, Muhammad Ali uh, memorable was the arrogance, and, mm. and not being afraid to have that space, and that space, there being a, uh, the folks that supported him had, be, like, feeling like that was in a loud space. I'm trying to figure out how to word what I'm trying to say, but my, my point being is that, like, the reason why um, folks believe that, feel that he was the greatest boxer in the world was because he wasn't afraid to say I'm the greatest boxer in the world. And I, and I think that that, it's an interesting thing that, you know, and I think it, maybe it's tied into masculinity. And I'm actually really interested in um, talking about so I uh... wait. I want everybody to introduce themselves first. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Sorry, sorry. Put sorry. a pin in it. Yeah. All right. I do just want to add really quick. As someone who's from Minnesota and like, and that Midwestern cultivating your humility thing is really, really important and mm-hmm. almost like a guilt check. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every second, it's really nice to not do that. So that's oh, just an additional thing. I bet. Anyway. Yes. Describing Bo. Okay. I okay. So. On all of his taglines, I write he is the self-proclaimed flower king and glam god of glitter. Um, so it's kind of like taking a standard masculinity and fucking with it a little bit, mm. but also still still being hyper-masculine. Okay. Just define... I, I guess, I don't know. It's not... Hmm, it, it's playing into a lot of tropes. Like you said, you saw my um, skinny boy workout routine, yes. um, which Bo was trying to lift a lot of heavy weights and impress all the, all the, <laughs> everybody, um, because Bo thinks, act, Bo already thinks everybody wants him, and that's a major part of Bo's personality, like, he walks into the room, all eyes are on him, because he is the biggest person in the room, like, that, that's Bo. Yeah. Mm. Oh, cool. Is arrogance a big part of the, of a drag king persona? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think it needs to be. I think that it's a safe choice for early male illusionists especially, so it's very, very common when people begin, because they tend to default to the things that they see most predominant as what is male and not female. And so, being kind, female. Being a dick bag, male. And that's why it's called a dick bag. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's the traits that are the most visible of what is man. Unfortunately, our shitty traits, guys. This is something you can change, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. But that's the reason that baby kings always default to, like, I'm going to be macho. I'm going to come and grind up on this chick who doesn't mm-hmm. want it. Ooh, no. It's no. a male type they're being, unfortunately. Yeah. And and so I think I think without, without someone saying, hey, look, if you want to prance around in high heels and you can still be a man, baby kings won't explore that avenue of gender fuck. I think Bo would totally wear heels, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think you've very consciously made that choice. Okay. Because because with you thinking of him as a glitter god and flower king. Right. I think okay. you've already consciously made that choice that he's not always hyper-masculine. Okay. But I think there is a default to portray this hyper-butch, hyper-mask, hyper-stud mm-hmm. in the community. So I'm wondering, with that in mind, and I do want to <laughs> get to your character. Yeah. I'm not going to forget about that. I'm interested... Um, and, you know, feel free to 
you know, say like, this isn't a topic I'm comfortable discussing. <laughs> um, cause I will just change tack, but I'm wondering, is there toxicity in the drag king community that leaks, that's kind of like leached from toxic masculinity? I don't feel like I know enough kings personally to define that. Okay. Mm. I, I don't think that it's inherent. Okay. I, I do think that there is a huge issue of consent that needs to be mm -hmm. talked about in the drag king community. Because I've watched people that I love as human beings fall on top of girls when doing this sexy lap dance routine. And I've watched women be uncomfortable. Mm. I've watched... My, my partner's a drag queen and is a, a femme queen. So she's a cisgender woman who is a drag queen. Mm. And I've watched, for instance, gay men believe it's acceptable to grab her breasts mm. because they're gay and she's a drag queen. What's wrong with that? Mm. And so I think drag kings kind of perpetuate the same types of behaviors, whether they're ready to acknowledge it or not. When Mick began... I began as a stereotypical frat boy. I was that jerk. I was a horrible, horrible human being when I was Mick when I began. And the best thing I ever did was when a queen said, hey, we don't want your Walmart drag, we're not gonna book it. We wouldn't book a queen who wore Walmart drag. Why would we book a king? I also took a heavy look at what Mick was outside of the clothing and the behaviors and choices I was making. Mm -hmm. Well, I, that leads me to, I guess, what is Mick now? Mick, Ooh, rather. Mick is an all-around oddity, and that's the best description that I've got into with him. Because one day Mick could be your Martian space hero coming out with blue hair and this crazy blue and purple face with a, with a gray base, and then the next song he can come out dressed as Archer. And like, <laughs> this coming Friday I'm going to be a Viking berserker. So I will really do everything and anything, whatever catches my fancy in the moment. But what Mick is not, is not someone who's going to go up and grind on an audience member. Mm -hmm. He he isn't that anymore because I've consciously realized how my behaviors were problematic. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I keep circling around this thought that I've been having because we've been You're we kind of the, the last king then, right? Um, I you know I'm I, the thing is is I'm not quite a character king because I don't just replicate celebrities. Okay. Yes, I have a fabulous Han Solo and a great Archer, mm. but <laughs> but that aside, I also just like to play with these bigger ideas and bigger makeups because you don't just have to be a male illusionist. It's just like I'll do burlesque as Mick because I, I think it's hilarious. I guess what I meant is each show of yours is a different character. I I don't know because I the thing is that the thing that Sigourney has pointed out to me. Is am I ever truly doc am I ever truly Dr. Frankenfurter in the sense of how other people have done it, or am mm -hmm. I always McDouche being Dr. Frankenfurter? Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And so is it am I actually being Archer, or is it McDouche portraying Archer? And I can't answer that question, but it's fun to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have two things that I keep circling around. One, I'm I'm gonna go with this because it's relevant to what we were just talking about. I'm really curious about how you all think about identity. Because I think that's it's an um, it's an interesting thing, hearing how in in which way and in which framing you talk about the existence of you as a you as a person outside of the um, sorry I'm trying to figure out like, the best way and, and I'm, this isn't maybe not the best wording for it, but like the character the 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 drag king that's what I'm trying to say um, so I'm I'm curious like for y'all. Because it's something that I think that as we're exploring uh, the fluidity of gender um, uh, and, and, you know, um, identity therein and, and trans folks and uh, all of these topics, I think it's, um, it's an interesting th uh, th thought is, is how do you all 
um, think about identity. Does that make sense? I will try, like, okay, so Mick and I aren't different people. And I guess that's something that I, I know some people really think of their, their drag self as distinct from themselves. And then some people I don't see a change, but they have a name change and they think they have a distinct thing. I just admit it's not distinct. The difference is Mick is who I would be if society stopped enforcing on me the expectations of who I had to be in every moment. Sure. And so something that I've realized is I have a lot of social anxiety, but Mick doesn't. Because Mick doesn't give a damn what anyone thinks because what does it matter? If they don't like him, the guy over there does. Mm. And it's a, it's a freedom that I don't have. And, and like I said, during the day, I have one of these like corporate America jobs. And so I can't be myself all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whereas... Mick can always be me. And so it's it's just a part of me if I was free. I guess when I look at Bo, he, it's not that he's different from myself, but he exists in de direct oppositions of certain parts of myself that I can shut off when I'm performing. Like, um, I'm very open about this. In real life, I'm very asexual. Um, well, very is also not the right word, but... That's another discussion for another day. Mm -hmm. um, and Bo kind of has a hypersexuality, um, and that's in and of itself, I think, hilarious. But mm -hmm. um, Bo, I'm kind of, it's not that I'm shy, but I prefer to observe uh, Bo is going to be in the immediate vicinity of what's happening and not observing, directing. So like, I guess it's not directing so much as taking up space. Um, I, I like not taking up space in real life. I like taking up as much space as I can in performance. Mm -hmm. That's a really hard thing for, I, I as a woman who is plus size, the idea of taking up space mm -hmm. is a really hard, thing to wrap your mind around especially considering like you know the classic picture of femininity is that of someone very like slight and um i'm wondering how that tr how um you know growing up as women how like kind of the making yourself feel okay about taking up space has been because that's i think that that is a that's like a direct, an indirect opposition to what it is like to be mm -hmm. a woman. Does that make sense? Culturally, yes, I understand yes. what you're saying. I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how, and this could be for anyone, like, kind of, are you in, I guess, are you enjoying the being able to take advantage of, like, the male taking up of space? Oh, yeah. Insofar as, like, manspreading, insofar as, like, doing, you know... <laughs> Man, talk about your saxophone now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I called out. I, I was mentioning earlier that I hid a tiny saxophone in my pants for two songs, and I still don't understand manspreading. So, like, with that, it's just a matter of is that a politeness thing, or is it that a conscious thing, or is it comfort? Yeah. Like, what? What? I guess socially, yeah. I, I'm very conscious of the amount of space I take up um as 
Okay, so I know you can't measure me because you're in the radio space, but I am six feet three inches tall, the tallest girl you'll ever meet, and the tallest drag queen <laughs> you'll ever lay eyes on. Um, so just that idea of, yeah, using all of that space is a big part of... Yeah. <laughs> I'm struggling with hand motions and trying to take up space. Yeah. <laughs> you are succeeding. Yeah, you're taking up so much space right yes. now. Thank Thank you. You. I'm, ah, I'm, I'm so I'm so impressed. I'm so <laughs> um, how is that? I'm I'm curious. How has that been for you, Dick, as a person from Minnesota, where you know the word "nice" is always almost always tacked onto the end of your state? Um, how has the how has that transition from like person from Minnesota to total asshole been? Well, I'm both Minnesotan and I grew up Catholic, so oh, that's really? a one-two punch. <laughs> um, I think it's it's been a freeing character, and again, like it's very new. And you were very right that it's a baby king thing. Like it's nice to get that aggression <laughs> out in a lot of ways. Um, but for me, it's been a way to deal with how I, how I feel about myself as, as a, it's, it's been interesting because since I've started drag more and more, I identify less as a woman. I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to put anything else on there, but it's just weird because I feel more separated from that label. Like, we were, we were doing that interview about womanhood, and I remember yeah. being like, I don't, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> n- I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's been, it's been interesting, because it's a, it's been a, a good way to explore that feeling, mm-hmm. and it's also been nice to explore, um, like, I sit like this a lot more now. I take up, I feel more comfortable sitting however I would like to. I feel more comfortable addressing people maybe more directly than I would before where I would kind of go around the conversation. Daniel remembers that from back in the day. Um, <laughs> and a lot less apologizing yeah. for that. So I think it's been, it's given me more uh, directness and confidence mm. in that way. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a lot of the takeaways with it is it just feeling more comfortable in my skin, which mm. is, which is nice. So so it's actually really different for me because I'm not a woman. It's so something I was dealing with before drag was the fact that I'm like, fuck, I'm not a woman. And it was, it was in the middle of one night. It just dawned on me and I actually called a trans woman that I was friends with in tears. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do. And she goes, you don't do anything. You wake up tomorrow, you go to work and then you just go from there. And, and after years, I have just decided that I've transcended gender. It's irrelevant to me, even though it's not to society. And so I am just me and I exist outside of it all. But I, I do feel this tension because I feel so in between spaces. And I think that's part of why Mick is my freedom is for once being in between spaces is a known factor in my life. And it's hyper visible when I'm Mick. Because if Mick goes into a men's room or a women's room, no one says anything. Because he's a drag king. He gets to use both bathrooms. Mm. Whereas me in real life, not so safe to use either. So it's... Yeah. So it's kind of... It's interesting because I don't... I think that's part of what drew my attention actually to some of the toxic choices I was making with Mick. As far as like situations that women would feel unsafe if cis men did these things. 
was because I realized the reason I'm not a man in society is because I wouldn't be okay being that way 24-7 toward women. Yeah. And until we can redefine what man is, I'm not invested there. That's... So, <laughs> um, the thing that's super interesting to me is I keep thinking about... Um, you know, when I first learned about feminism however many years ago, uh, I read a lot of Bill Hooks, and one of the books I always think about is Masculinity, the Will to Change. And I think that's super uh, interesting and relevant to this conversation, because kind of one of the themes of the book, um, and, and something I've thought about within feminism since then, being a, you know, a cis male, um, thinking about, like, what kind of space do I take up, and, and what type, kind of space mm-hmm. should I take up. Um, in, a, in a weird way, masculinity is the... Um, unspoken about part of feminism and, and we're afraid to kind of I'm not saying we as in the people in this room I mean uh, thinkers mm-hmm. are, are afraid to go there because it's because it's it's you know how how do you and, and how, like you know we were talking about this on the last QIO that like it's when you start uh, critiquing and diving into someone else's toxic masculinity like it's it's a uh, retell Sorry, excuse me. That was gross. It's a retaliatory space. It's a, um, it's a, it's it's vulnerable, and it's you know we haven't really figured out like I mean we have a lot of clues as to which microaggressions are toxic and which you know bullshit is man spreading ridiculousness. But I but it, I'm curious and, and interested um, for y'all um, who are you know discovering masculinity on your own terms and presenting that. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that process been? And, and uh, what are some of the things that have been difficult and what are some of the things that have been uh, easier to kind of latch into? Well, like I said before, one of the worst parts for me is when I began drag, I was making choices of the type of guy I wouldn't have wanted to be friends with. Mm. And so coming to look at Mick, I also had to look at my muggle self mm. And in doing so, I realized the things that I was doing in my daily life that were actually harming the women around me, and I didn't think about it. Because just because you're a woman, I don't think it's impossible for you to harm the women around you. Mm, Just because you're female, you can still harm the women around you. And and especially in... So uh, I, I dated women who date women for the most part because biologically, well, I have lady parts. Uh, and I found that there was some very toxic behaviors that they would engage in that if a man did it, your family would instantly go get out of there. Mm-hmm. Get out of there. Mm-hmm. And yet in the lesbian community and in the women who date people who are biologically female, there's not the same get out, get out, get out, red flag mm-hmm. conversation. And so there's there's stuff like that that I had to address even about my own behaviors. That I would, for instance, I was a bad one about texting my girlfriend to know where she was all the time. And I didn't realize I was doing something strange until I had to stop and confront how I was perpetuating negative behaviors in drag. And then I was able to look at what I was doing in life as well. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to feel com- like the idea of, of I just I'm thinking of like the idea of like calling that out, those kinds of things out. Like we're, it's I don't know. Sorry, did I cut you off? Well, I I didn't say anything. Well, I, this <laughs> reminds me a little bit of something that um, a hetero friend of mine said once, which was something about toppling the patriarchy, and then you know like women and lesbians will you know, redeem us all. And I remember going, do you, do you know, have you experienced the community? Because, I mean, obviously I love the queer community, but there's a lot of toxicity there too. I have just as much have been hit on and made to feel very uncomfortable 
by queer women who think that they can, you know, make a comment about your ass or like they've talked about mm-hmm. a mutual friend's ass or like two people dating be like, oh yeah, but she has her hands full. Mm. And it's like, why, why do you feel the need to repeat this behavior? Like because, just because you're butch or just because mm-hmm. you're in this situation where you feel like it's okay. Like this, of all people, like you should know that this person's a person, you know? Mm. So, um, I find that very, very interesting because the queer community is not going to, like, save everybody just because you're, you know. You know, it's very uh, yeah. reminiscent of the Alabama election yeah. with the whole, you know, talking about the... Um, the magical black woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, you know, it's another thing that we've been talking about is, um, you know, uh, I think for me, I, I find myself wanting to call out and, and uh, this is kind of what I was trying to get at and couldn't get the words out to understand what I was thinking myself um anyway um the idea of calling out other men and i think that is uh something that figuring out how to do that and how to do it morally i guess is the is an interesting thing i mean when we live in such a docs friendly world mm-hmm. um which and i think there's a time and a place for it um but that and a, being and a aside, way to do it for sure mm-hmm. yeah. um but I, I think it's you know I, I would not begin to try to uh Uh, put into words how call-out community should be in a queer community, but I'm, I'm also mm-hmm. very interested in in how that thought process is, is thought about, because I think it's something that we're all really trying to figure out is how do we address toxicity and, and what is our, what are our goals, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we trying to work towards? Obviously a toxic-free society, but, like, what does that look like? How do we get there? I think taking one out of the pages of the burlesque community is actually one that the drag community could benefit from. Mm. And that's every show having a conversation about consent. Mm. That we don't touch the girls and they don't touch you. Yeah. That if you see something like you like, you cheer. If you see something you don't like, you cheer. Yeah. It doesn't matter because you're there to be supportive and enjoy a show. And, and I think having that conversation about consent at every drag show, at every burlesque show, expanding it into theater, it, it, it will create the culture, but we as artists are probably the most likely people to create it by demanding that respect for our performers and demanding that our performers respect the audience in the same way. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. That's a really interesting idea, the idea of um, discussing consent. You know, in, it, to me, it's, it's a no-brainer that in a setting where the fourth wall is broken, that a conversation about consent it should be should be happening mm-hmm. you know if if a performer is going to be interacting with the audience that is you are entering into a social contract there and it needs to be understood that the person who you are interacting with is okay with it mm-hmm. but it's an interesting conversation to think about like when there is that barrier when there is that fourth wall like the idea of consent is still there because there are stu- still two people mm-hmm. interacting on the stage mm-hmm. so even like as actors going into a scene, reminding yourself, like, consent is important. Well, and I, I think the thing, too, is even when you have that fourth wall, you can remind your audience, body shaming isn't welcome in this space. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I can't tell you the number of times I hear audience people go, oh, she got that part because she's the big girl. And that's Oops. not okay. Seriously? Think about the roles in opera, though, that you see that are yeah. the big girl roles. Mm, yeah. And we can talk about that with audiences, even at, like, the Q&A after. Yeah. And, and we're actually in the position to start addressing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and just in terms of the consent that I've thought about when it comes to the performance community, 
I remember when I was putting together one of my first acts, I think it was the the L Word show that that, um, that we did. And I remember there's another uh, colleague or friend of mine that I went up with in grad school and they're doing um, they're doing really great work as a queen in New York mm-hmm. and like she's never gonna listen to this so I can say this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I just what look at her Instagram. <laughs> but um I remember seeing one of her first shows and she was going around and she had a can of whipped cream and she would shake it and she would put she would like take somebody by the jaw and put it back with the whipped uh. cream in and then kiss them. And I remember going like people are cheering but I would feel so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uncomfortable with that. And so I remembered that very specifically informed like a swagger, but also like please don't actually mm-hmm. touch people's faces and make out with them. Like, I just, I, I just don't think that that is a kind thing to do to somebody who's just coming to see a show. Mm-hmm. Like, unless they have expressly been like, please kiss me. Yeah. Like, or groping. And... Do you count that mindset and that lens of being like, how would a person think about this? If it, do you, My point being is that like, Unprovoked. I'm. I'm interested in thinking of like, is that mindset something that is just culture, a cultural shift, or I mean, do you think that there are folks that think about that more than others? And and obviously, obviously, the the progression is to work towards uh, a fully consensual experience. But um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, like, what, what? How do we make that progression easier? Outside of just having the conversation, yeah. like the the disclaimer at the at the top of every show, you mean? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious, like, what, and it, it, I think you kind of partly answered this question too, and maybe fully actually. Like the idea, of, <laughs> um, getting that idea of like, is it is it just the folks get want to get an aggression out and and do it in a way that I mean, you know, I don't even think it's that so much as. I think I think whenever you're a new performer in anything, you latch onto the stereotypes because mm-hmm. it's easier. When I was first learning guitar, I learned all of those songs like Hey There Delilah mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. that was the stereotype to yeah. learn. So and, anyway, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think it's the same thing with drag where when you think of what is man, you latch onto a stereotype. Same with drag queens. that When they latch onto what is woman, they don't think of the bearded lady. They don't think of the bearded queen trend. They think of the violet tchotchke, the skinny mini, the corseted gorgeous. And I mean, sorry, Sigourney, if you're listening to this, my partner is known for her hourglass shape as a drag queen. So it's not to bash that. It's actually just to say that's part of the beauty that's becoming is the bearded queens are coming to the forefront mm-hmm. and expressing that femininity can come in a bearded form. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think initially, though, people don't think of the bearded queen when they're exploring their own drag. So that's a later evolution when they realize they can be more than just one stereotype. I I would love to. I think that this is a like a really awesome conversation. I do want to move back toward the artistry of it. Mm. Um, so I'm wondering. Um, so in talking about, I, I think that the drag community in general, there is obviously a lot of fluidity in terms mm-hmm. of identity. Um, I think that and. I am by no means a drag connoisseur on either end. I do. I have noticed um, that on the drag queen side of things, 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 you know, aside from like the bearded mm-hmm. drag trend, things tend to 
present more cis on the drag queen side. That may be a sweeping generalization, though. What, what present more cis? Do you like, mean like realistic looks? Is that what you're yeah, talking about? No, I, I mean I mean like more more traditionally feminine. Okay. Just, like is, like is, fish. Like fish. Yeah. Like, if, yeah, are you talking fishy. like the girls on RuPaul? I'm. I am talking fish. girls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like the pageant queens. That is yeah. what I'm thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And like it. Please correct me. Like I am. I'm here just trying to learn more. So thank you. Um. I'm one. And I'm wondering in the drag king community, is there more variety in terms of what? what you see in the drag king community? I wouldn't say inherently, because there are there are a lot of drag queens who play with gender fuck. And there's a lot of club kids out there, especially in a place like Chicago where that's super invited. I would say that in the cities in general for both queens and kings you have more variety. Okay. I would say in places like Iowa where I came from, it's a lot more of male illusion and female illusion is what's at the heart of the drag community. Uh Whereas here, that's not so much of what they want. They want the big. They want the showstopper. They want the shock. They want the mm-hmm. awe. They want you to roll around in a pile of vomit because that's what Chicago wants. And so it's actually a really strange scene. That's really cool. I love Chicago. <laughs> that's so great. I mean, rolling around in a pile of vomit is actually the perfect example if you've ever been to Berlin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I throw it. <laughs> no, I just, I, I'm, I'm so interested in like, you know, the perf- kind of like the performance art aspect mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. Because I know that, I know a few, like, I'm, I'm from the same town as Trixie Mattel. Mm-hmm. I like okay. have, I've, I know her very peripherally. And so, and I, and I know, you know, Trixie's, you know, muggle self as well. Again, very peripherally. But I, I know, like, I think that that's an example of a performer who is, you know, visually very, like, pretty, not like traditionally feminine because she's, it's like a, you know, it's like a, crazy person put on makeup with her <laughs> but it's like you know very stark non-contour but anyway but her acts are mm-hmm. really funny you know her acts are like really out there like when she first came up she did this kind of f- fucked up Anne Frank thing but like <laughs> but it was it was different it was out there and I'm just so interested in the performance art aspect of it is there I, I guess I'm wondering, is there a difference between, like, the classic drag king act and the dress and the classic drag queen act? I know that in both communities there's often lip syncing involved, but yeah. that's not necessarily part of it. I think it depends on what decade you look at, to yeah. be honest. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you look yeah. at, like, the 1930s, it was the classy man in tailcoats was the drag king. Okay. And the drag queen was the woman in these gorgeous gowns, and so they were they were complementing equals in that very vaudeville style of performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, in in the seventies, I think a lot of drag kinging may have faded into the background because the feminist movement was so hot on hell on wheels at the time that I think a lot of drag kings may have been swept up and busy with other stuff mm. because I, I think bigger things may have called because I. 
I haven't seen much historically for kinks Not in that so time. Much, no. And then yeah. in the 90s, it seemed to be like where the reemergence happens, where they came back with a vengeance. And in the 90s, what it meant to be a drag king was very different than what it meant to be a drag queen. I'm I'm not that old. So unfortunately, <laughs> everything I have is hearsay, guys. I'm really sorry. Uh, do some Google research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting close to 30, but I can't remember the 90s. Uh, and so then, then is a time when drag king was largely in lesbian bars. And it was for the lesbian community. And that's part of why you're seeing this huge shift in the drag king community now, is in the last decade, we've had a lot of lesbian bars shut down. So the traditional venues, the traditional styles are having to adapt and they're having to work with the queen community and even explore that. And I think it's been beneficial to both kings and queens. Sasha Velour, for instance, has a drag king routine she actually does, where she actually puts duct tape on her sides to imitate how a king would do an open chest bind in an act of solidarity rather than just rocking that she has a male chest. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's actually really yeah. cool. Huh. Check wow. that out. I think I've seen that, but didn't realize it was Sasha Velour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now that you mention it, because someone commented and I was like, no, it's not. And I didn't mm -hmm. scroll to the next thing. But... Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Huh. Is there, is there like any, now that, I guess now that like drag king communities are being brought, are being like taken out of the les the classic lesbian bar, is there any like, and I'm, I'm not trying to be a shit stirrer here, I know it seems like I'm trying to be, I'm not, is, is there any like contention between the two communities or has it been, been more welcoming? Yes. Yes, there has been contention. There are some areas where kings are very frustrated because they feel like they can't break into a queen scene. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then there are some places where the queens are quite welcoming and inviting or let them have king nights. Right. Uh, the biggest thing I have found is if you contour as a drag king, the queens will respect it more because part of the queen's artistry is makeup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest tension exists not with the drag kings who are big into makeup, but with the kings who are that older style where they don't like to use foundation or contour and mm. they they just like the male illusion with a beard attached or, or with facial hair that's been drawn on and no additional makeup. And the kings who don't rhinestone or wear costumes, there's a huge tension there as well. And so it depends. The kings who will play the queen's game, for lack of a better way to phrase it, can work their way into the scene more easily than the kings who are holding on to a more 1990s traditional king style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when I first started like doing research on drag, how struck I was by the difference in like 90s king style versus now. Because now you see like Landon Sider, mm -hmm. you see like mm -hmm. maybe not Hugo so much, but like because Hugo mostly just has the mustache. Well, and Hugo's New Zealand too. Yeah, yeah. So he's. Yeah. He's got a whole other thing And I think going that's on. more of like the big personality situation. Yeah. Like the mm -hmm. small, t you don't expect it to explode out of that tiny person like that. Yeah. And Leave Alone, another yeah. one with makeup. And yeah. Damien Deluxe, Trey Elise. Yeah. He, well, Trey doesn't do much when he's doing a traditional mask face, but Trey does awesome things like the genie from Aladdin, yeah. where it's heavily makeup. Yeah. Cool. And so like you can see so many of these like amazing makeup transformations and some really strong, you know, makeup king looks. And then I remember when I first saw some of the 90s looks I was like oh wow like it is very different mm -hmm. yeah yeah I guess to really get booked there's got to be some aspect of your kingmanship that's more whether it's a shtick you're doing on stage whether it's your makeup whether it's your costume it's mm -hmm. like that's kind of the defining situation there mm -hmm. um, personally whenever I perform I still feel like the novelty act so like it is it's it's kings aren't 
a very strong presence still. We're very connected because we have all the Facebook communities, all the online communities, we know what's going on, we're familiar with certain aspects and certain worlds, but in when it comes to finding kings out on the scene, you really have to be paying attention. It's, it's not a lot of shows out there. Hmm. Well, and I think that's, I think part of it though too is if you're looking for king-only shows, yeah. you're going to have a heck of a oh, lot yeah. harder time. <laughs> the thing about Chicago, and I'm going to say this, Baby Kings, listen, Chicago will let you win. You got to come out and do the same contest as the Queens. You got to come yeah. out to mm -hmm. Veronica Pops, popular at Charlie. You got to do feedback at Scarlet. Crash you got to go participate in Crash Landing. Plot Twist now has a halftime show where you can come in and bring any act and you can try to win a booking. Sidetracks has one on Thursday nights where you can win a booking. The reality is this is how a queen is expected to make her name. If you won't put in the same work, how do you expect a queen to give you the same opportunity? Mm -hmm. And that's something that the drag king scene is having to adapt to as well, mm -hmm. is we have to participate in the drag races beside the queens because we need right. to earn the same spot that that queen would have earned. Yeah. I guess I'm. that's just a, a testament to how far removed I am from this scene I guess I am want, curious like beside you know how how many nights a week is it for a drag performer like how like like how <laughs> full time you want them to yeah be. yeah There's, like, like a how full time a, how full time a job is this it depends I actually have a friend Aurora Gosmic who is a drag queen full-time here in Chicago she works about four nights a week in one brunch show uh, Scarlet and Bistro 750 if you're looking for her. And and she's fabulous, but it's a lot of work because not only does she have these times where she's doing shows, but the rest of the week she's putting together looks, she's sewing costumes, she's styling hair. My partner Sigourney Beaver doesn't do as many shows in a week, but she does oh God, a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't do a lot of shows in a given week, but as a full-time drag queen, she does a lot of traveling. So between October and November, she was in four different states in like oh four God. weeks. And so that gets exhausting for her, uh, but but she loves it. She'd love to travel more than do a bunch of shows in the same city. Yeah. Right. I have a 6 a.m. work shift and a bedtime, so you'll find me sporadically at special events. Like, I don't do the <laughs> weekly every night thing. I, I, I can't even do once a month these days. It's There's a special brunch show. Someone sends me an email. I'm like, yeah, I'm free. Let's do it. Mm. Or some kind mm -hmm. of, like, someone who's seen me perform before is mm -hmm. like, Hey, any chance, like, I could find shows if I wanted to and if I had time. Like, I could go to all those mm -hmm. open mics, I mean, not open mics, open stages and put myself out there. But mm -hmm. for the most part, I just do special events. Cool. Yeah. And I do opera and then I have started to do drag. So it's kind of a combination of that right now. Yeah. I'm wondering what, what you picture, like, in an ideal world, what that balance would be. Maureen, I am keeping my head above water. <laughs> I mean, I know. I have no idea. I know. Ideally, it would be nice to, to graduate the look up a little bit and to actually get, you know, some more costumes, some more, like, experimenting with more makeup, getting some higher quality stuff. You have stuff. costumes. I have, like, two. Okay. But thank you. It's very nice. <laughs> um, the opera on tap was a solid Okay, uh, I need to get fit. myself a powdered wig, and that's going to be part of my opera, opera act. Beatnik that's... sells some older... Wigs like that, Do if you haven't they? seen them. <laughs> Marie Antoinette, that type of bullshit, yes. all there. Yeah, I need that. That's what I need. Um, but yeah, basically, it's it, right now I'm still percolating it, and then there's all the opera on tap stuff, and there's all of that. So yeah. I've been I've been experimenting with some looks, and hopefully it'll 
we'll get some more stuff going. Nice. Cool. Well, um, we have a few minutes left. So the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, like upcoming events. Um, we also love hearing about uh, shout-outs for uh, other folks that you think are doing dope work, as well as uh, any self-care media you've been consuming, books, TV shows, movies, music, etc., etc. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, the next drag show that uh, I'm doing, and so is Bo, is... Um, are you doing that one, Mick, on the 5th? With uh, Lesby Event. Okay. I don't know if they even know I exist, because I don't really go to lesbian events of yeah. any variety. Hmm. Yeah. There. <laughs> I just pop up really randomly. I don't, I don't think I've gone to any of them. I went to... We went to the future one. The fl- uh, the, that was with Peach Party, not with um, Lesby Event. Anyway, so come to this one. <laughs> uh, Lesby Events is doing a, uh, a Drag King night. On... It's a pre-show for their Flannel Friday, which is the first yes. Friday of every month. Yes. Um. Uh, it's going to be uh, Friday, January 5th. And we're, are we gonna, I think we're going to do some sort of boy band thing. They keep then... talking about it, but the person who was really most jacked about it can't go to the show now. So I don't know if yeah. that's going to happen. Um, but nonetheless, there will be Drag Kings. There will be Drag Kings. Yes. It's like a title of a movie. There will be drag kings. Someday. Right. Someday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is that it for plugs? Oh, no, I'll get no, mine no. in. Yeah. Uh, this Friday, the 22nd, I'll be at Berlin Nightclub for Goddess, which is Cat Sass and Lucky Stiff show. Uh-huh. Uh, in, I'll be in Wisconsin in January, so Kenosha, watch out. It's my first time in Wisconsin. And at the end of February, I'm very excited to announce that Muffy Fish Basket is, has a show called Six Queens, One Diva. She will be doing Six Kings, One Diva. And you can find me there. You can find Red Rum there. God damn it. Uh, Dusty Balls will be there. Oh, nice. uh, you also have a whole bunch of people. We have some cis men who are kings who are going to be there. You should tell so me the a, date of It's that. a really yeah, wide variety. That's going to be a good time. In February? February. The end of February. Yeah. I, I just missed the cutoff to get into that show. Like, Muffy Oof. had booked it already, and I was... Ugh. Yeah. Oh, I should probably, like, Opera on Tap's happening, too. Look at the Facebook page. Fresh shoots on the last Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're doing musicals in January, third Tuesday of the month. We're doing Gender Bender in February, third Tuesday of the month. The best show of the year. The best show. Although, I don't know. I mean, what's the vote? Have you put up a vote yet of what's better, the diva off or the gender bender? Don't make me choose between my children. Yeah, fair. No, that's legit. I mean, I thought the diva off was pretty... Fantastic. Well, you judged it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways that you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles there, uh, as well as all of our uh, podcast episodes go up there as well. Um... Otherwise, you can keep up with us on social media, on Facebook, that is Scopy Magazine, on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Play, Radio Public, and iTunes Podcasts. We are under Scopy Mag, and we spell that S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all... 
thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our donate section. There are a couple ways that you can give. You can do a one-time donation. If you choose to do that, you will have our eternal gratitude. If you choose to give on a monthly level, a couple of cool things will happen. First of all, our next two donors at any level will receive a free bag of half-wit coffee. I have a dollar in my pocket. Oh my god. <laughs> nice. Um, do you want a bag of half-wit coffee? Alright, cool. <laughs> um, um, and just keep in mind that for as little as five dollars a month, you could you can help us on our mission of uplifting local arts and independent media. So give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thank you so all so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>